What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Round the X and Voyager, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear much more about them later on in the episode. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. I'm really excited uh, to have today's conversation with today's guest because he's truly an innovator and an expert in the blockchain space. He was here very early and his work has been recognized so much so that he's actually given hundreds and hundreds of lectures around the world about blockchain and is one of the leading educators in the space. Uh, Thomas Bertani is now the president of the Poseidon Group, the director of ADU, and the founder of Provable Things. So Thomas, thank you so much for being here. Hi, hello everyone, and uh, thank you for having me. So, obviously, as I mentioned, you were in Bitcoin very, very early. Can you tell us, I guess, your Bitcoin story, how you found it, how you found, fell in love with it, and how you just decided to work in this space? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it was like 2012, and as you said, it was really early. So the community looked so different compared to today that I can barely recognize it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I would say that, you know, there weren't really many you know, uh, professionals or, you know, companies that were doing it for, uh, you know, making money. Most of them were just there because, you know, um, they, they, they wanted to experiment and they were interested, uh, you know, in the technology or in, you know, trying some early positioning strategies or things like that. But, you know, the, the ecosystem um, had very few users and I guess most users were building something um, there for, you know, expecting a, uh, future waves of users that indeed came later. Um, right. So yeah, I guess most of the um, you know conversations back then happened uh, you know on very few platforms. So it was very easy to get started because you you knew that you know everything was to be found on Bitcoin Talk pretty much, um, and that uh, you know if you wanted to follow Bitcoin developments, there were some channels, uh, and you know Litecoin, there were other channels, and th- th- there wasn't much more beside you know mining initiatives and exchanges right. so this is how i got started as well um back then i was working uh, i have a technical background and i was working on like uh, parallel computing for scientific applications and that's uh, the same um idea that basically gets used for mining on um you know graphic cards which was a thing back then so th- this is how i got started as i guess most people back then got started with mining or you know, trying to trade Bitcoin, and th- that was the same for me. And it was late 2012. Um, I remember the price had just gone down significantly, um, and it was at around like 10, uh, 10 bucks back then. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was saying, "Okay, it's over, guys. It was at 30. Now it it went down to 10. So it's over. It's never going uh, to go back up." Oh, that's funny. How many times since then have you heard people say, it's dead, it's going to zero, it's finished? Yeah, hundreds, I guess, at the very least, yeah. I mean, even myself, I mean, I wasn't really into trading. That was my first, uh, 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 you know, ecosystem where um, I was uh, learning, and so I was learning very quickly uh, concepts around, uh, uh, you know, trading, how the market works. I had no idea, really. Um, And... It felt like, uh, you know, falling down the, the rabbit hole. It was like uh, um, everything happened so quickly. And um, I remember just a few months later, the, the price of Bitcoin started going up. Um, and uh, it was the time where, uh, what did it reach? Like 200 or something like that, um, US dollars. Um, and when it started falling again, the same, uh, you know, the, the, the same uh, uh, voices came back saying, uh, you know, it's over. <laughs> uh, it's never going to recover. It's going back to 10 or whatever, or to zero. Crazy. And we, we hear the same today, right? Um, yep. There are so many people that, uh, you know, are uh, pushing for uh, that narrative uh, of the Bitcoin bubble being about to pop anytime. 
So yeah, yeah, it's the ne the never ending pop that doesn't come, and and uh, it seems that uh, Bitcoin always bounces back and comes back stronger, no matter yeah. how bad it looks. Uh, at those moments. So you said something uh, earlier, which was really interesting. You said that you started in 2012 and the community was very different that you wouldn't even recognize it anymore. How is it different? And uh, I guess, what do you see now with the community? How is it better and, and worse? Well, I, I guess the community today um, is like uh, fighting uh, around, uh, you know, uh, finding use cases and uh, trying to you know, get realistic expectations on, on what we can do with this technology. Uh, back then, it was much more idealistic. Like uh, everyone, um, you know, there were so many use cases uh, people were discussing. And, you know, today I would say that most of them were just bullshit. But, right, um, of course. you know, but we didn't know back then. It was like super early. Everyone was just super eager to you know, experiment and see what could be done uh, with this, uh, you know, technology. And, um, you know, <clears throat> it, it was the time when um, the only blockchains there were really, you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and then there were a couple of experiments like Namecoin, for instance, um, where, which basically today is what ENS does on Ethereum. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, I think it was quite interesting in seeing that um, people had many ideas, but many of them didn't have any uh, like technical foundation. It was like super early. So um, most of the things we see today, we sort of, uh, you know, thought of them back then, but we couldn't make them. It was just too early. There were, there were many missing pieces, so it wasn't possible to, you know, implement them and try them out. Um, some of them, as I said, were like bad ideas maybe or something that turned out not to be that interesting after all and other things uh, um, you know turn out to actually uh, be good ideas or things on which people uh, even today are very interested to build on uh, such as you know smart contracts for instance um, mm -hmm. which back then didn't really have the shape of I mean today if you think of a smart contract the first thing that comes to your mind is probably an Ethereum smart contract um, back then Ethereum wasn't even uh, idealized so it was just uh, too early. And, uh, but, but still, some concepts were already there. For example, I, I remember the one of the Oracle. I mean, the concept of the Oracle in the blockchain space uh, that today is very discussed, right? As a central, a potential point of failure uh, for DeFi or, you know, as something that we would rather avoid, but we sort of need in some circumstances. Right. Those ones, even, even on Bitcoin, they... they like uh, there were some attempts to build some oracles and that's actually one of the things that i got interested in later on so um even before smart contracts you know oracles were sort of interesting to do conditional payments like in case it trains please release this bitcoin transaction or you know. that's interesting i didn't know that oracles were even a thought at that point um so you you just touched on what was your involvement between obviously then and now in uh, we know where you've landed, which we'll talk about later, but what did you do in between? You said you had something to do with developing oracles, and I know that you've done quite a few things in, in that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to experiment, as I said, as most people in the space. So um, I, I worked on different things. Uh, the first thing that I got involved with was uh, mining. As, uh, as I said, uh, this was very much in line with my previous background before Bitcoin for blockchain in general. Uh, back then there was just Bitcoin, so really there was no differentiation right. of the terms. Yeah. It was just Bitcoin and blockchain were the same thing, basically. Um, and so um, I got into mining and then there was, a, there was the run for you know, building the, as quickly as possible, ASIC miners, um, as they weren't really a thing. Back then it was, it was really early. Uh, the first uh, ASIC miner that got released, I remember, was the Avalon uh, in, uh, uh, February or March mm -hmm. 2013 um, and basically a few months later I got involved into a mining company so I was one of the first um, employees there um, and we started building our own ASIC miners and that company uh, today probably very few people remember that company because it went bankrupt later uh, it was called Cointapper and that company uh, sold uh, like tens of millions of dollars of like ASIC miners in wow. a few weeks. 
Uh, mm-hmm. We were like one of the fastest uh, growing company uh, startups in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, so I was there um, like uh, working on the engineering part. And, you know, just a few months later, it like it, it just like the, the, the market changed really quickly. And what happened is that the price of Bitcoin started going down. So guess what happens? No one wants to buy miners anymore. Of course. Because when the, the price decreases, people are scared. So they, they don't invest in mining. Um, so what we did was like uh, doing our own, um, you know, mining operation later. Um, and I was in charge of maintaining that operation. And just to give you an idea, we were, uh, we had uh, like thousands of miners across the US and we had 5% of the hash rate of Bitcoin uh, under wow. our control. <laughs> so that was a lot of pressure and it was really hard to sleep at night, you know. Um, you were basically supporting the entire networks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 5%, but still it was a big yeah. chunk, um, even back then. Um, and in, in parallel, like something I had started um, before leaving for Texas was um, like um, a platform to facilitate the purchase of your you know, first Bitcoin. Um, people were still buying a whole Bitcoin, uh, you know, when they were uh, just, uh, right. you know, being converted because it was still relatively cheap. Um, and so I, I made this uh, like a platform called uh, Bitbo which was basically a cash to Bitcoin marketplace, uh, similar to local Bitcoins, uh, but much more automated. Um, and like we processed uh, like uh, tens of thousands of transactions. Uh, it was really interesting because most people I knew later in the space, even, rec- even recently, like if, if I go around uh, France or Italy, which, is the, which are the countries where uh, the platform was, was mostly operating in, um, many people I find when they, when they discover um, I, I founded that project, they tell me, oh, wow, I bought my first Bitcoin there. Um, That's so funny <laughs> because uh, Charlie, I had yeah. Charlie Schrem on the show and he says basically the same thing about America. He's like, everybody <laughs> that I meet says they bought their first Bitcoin on my exchange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something super interesting that happened just out of experimentation um, that today is like something that would send you straight to jail, but that back then, didn't because basically it was so small, nobody cared. It was like, uh, you right. know, um, something you were doing as an amateur just to experiment. Um, was like uh, um, what today we call, you know, tokenized businesses and, you know, tokens and ICOs. Back then there was no Ethereum. So there were those virtual companies, they were called, um, which were technically the same thing. So Bitbolt right. was like a virtual company and we were listed on, you know, stock exchanges um, that, uh, you know, had virtual shares of the business that were actively traded. So people could buy uh, part of those shares and they were sort of becoming part of the activity of the company. So for example, in our case, we were distributing, you know, dividends in Bitcoin every week uh, wow. to those Retweet. token holders. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, you know, those were very early days, but, uh, you know, many of those things just got better over time. Today, we see what, how the ecosystem looks like. So it's, it's very different. Um, but they were experimenting and there was interest even back then, but at a much smaller scale. That's really interesting. That's kind of a part of the story that I, I never heard. I never really understood uh, the pre-ICO, ICO boom, so to speak. And it's funny, as you said, those would be highly regulated probably as securities. Now yeah. you're basically trading unregulated stocks on the stock market uh, and getting away yeah. with it. So it's uh, indeed most yeah. exchanges that were supporting, you know, virtual stocks uh, yep. started, uh, you know, closing down uh, the section uh, uh, of the website uh, in the following years. Um, yeah. But back then, uh, you know, the regulator didn't even know what Bitcoin was, let alone, right. uh, you know, virtual companies or those kind of things. Makes sense. So as I mentioned in the introduction now, at least I'm sure there's a lot more things you have your uh, fingers in, but we have Poseidon Group, uh, Edu, of course, Provable Things, and now the P Network, PNT. So can you talk about what you're doing now, what each of those things are and and why you're focusing on them? Yeah, sure. So all those things are actually uh, interconnected. So the, the way this started uh, was with uh, two independent companies. So one was um, like uh, provable things, 
which is a company based in the UK where I'm currently calling from. And um, Provable Things initially was called uh, Oracleize. And Oracleize is like uh, probably the longest running Oracle on Ethereum that has some users. Um, and we have like hundreds of smart contracts on Ethereum that reach out to the Oracle every month to fetch data, you know. Um, and this was like uh, something on which uh, I've worked on for several years, six years now, actually, uh, since 2014. Wow. Um, and, you know, the, we, we worked on several aspects of making the service provable. So back then, um, most services in the space weren't really decentralized because they were missing tools. So people were trying their best, but it was just too early to expect a project to be fully decentralized. Uh, which is sort of the expectation we have today with, you know, DeFi, for instance. Of course. Um, at least as a name for, you know, the medium term, if not for the short. Um, but back then, uh, you know, uh, the Oracle was seen uh, as something that, you know, couldn't really easily be decentralized. And um, I often, uh, like, uh, refer to it as this weird, you know, beast that uh, basically is... Um, a new intermediary in an ecosystem that is trying to get rid of intermediaries, uh, because you you don't really want to you know to compromise the security of your decentralized app, but you sort of need someone to you know send the data the blockchain. Right. So today we, we see many examples of oracles that are trying their best to be as decentralized as possible, such as Chainlink, Band, and many others. You know, um, provable has um, traditionally been uh, centralized, so it's not decentralized at the moment, um, but it sends, along with the data, something to prove that it's behaving uh, uh, honestly. Initially, right. we called them uh, uh, actually honesty proofs, proofs uh, right. while now we call them authenticity proofs because we cannot really prove, you know, it's not something, uh, um, it's not around honesty really, it's around the data not being tampered with. So, right. yeah, um, what happened is that basically, um, in parallel, uh, another project uh, was started, which was called ADO, and ADO is like a, a non-custodian wallet, which um, started with an ICO in uh, 2017, and uh, with a token called EDO, and uh, ADO since then uh, uh, has basically finalized everything that was described in the initial white paper. So it paid, uh, you know, a decentralized exchange. Um, it paid many ways to simplify the uh, like interaction with a non-decentralized with a non-custodian uh, wallet. Um, it like provides fiat on ramp, fiat of ramp. Um, it has many different things. Um, even um, a debit card, which is you know DeFi, meaning that you stay um, you know with your assets in a tokenized form as long as possible till the very last mile. Just at the moment, uh, uh, you know, you want to tap your card for uh, doing a payment or you want to withdraw a KTM. Just at that moment, uh, the tokens get converted and, uh, you know, they yeah. enter a centralized uh, component. I, I personally uh, use the wallet. I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the wallet uh, is like Ethereum. Uh, um, it supports any Ethereum token, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, yeah, and Litecoin. And um, basically, what happened at some point is that we realized that, uh, that the token economy of, um, of ADU was sort of um, old in the sense that, you know, token economies in 2017 were very similar one to the other. Every, everything was about, you know, burning some tokens or, you know, staking wasn't really very advanced at the time as a concept. It was still early. So since then, uh, there has been a lot of development around token economies and many projects have reiterated and improved their token economies um, to make the, them uh, work better. Right. So what we did recently um, with ADU was basically uh, merging the token economy with something else, um, which we had within our um, you know portfolio of companies, which is um, the... Um, the provable things uh, operations, which include, you know, the Oracle we were is earlier being um, discussing about, and the 
um, and P network and P tokens. And P tokens uh, is this new project uh, that basically started from our experience building the Oracle, but that aims uh, differently than the Oracle. It aims to become decentralized as soon as possible. And it's all about uh, uh, cross-chain composability. So what we want to build is a system that um, enables tokens to freely move across blockchains, regardless uh, of you know, the original blockchain where uh, you know, they were created. That's so huge. Bitcoin is you know, a very notable example of that. And we know there are tens of projects now, uh, at least, well, not tens, but at least 10 uh, projects that are trying to tokenize Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, but we believe it's much wider than that. So that's why we have decided, uh, you know, to uh, merge uh, the, these two projects of ADU and P Network, so that we can, um, you know, benefit from the community of the Ethereum uh, of the um, ADU wallet, which is of like we have tens of thousands of active users every month. So it's not huge, but it's an initial use base, uh, user space that um, we can uh, leverage. And, um, you know, P tokens and the P network, which is this, uh, you know, general purpose wrapper of any token on any blockchain. So we can, we believe basically that, you know, it's not important where um, a given token is uh, because it eventually it will not matter to the end user. They will just want to use a given DAP and they will go wherever there is a possibility to make money or wherever they are. They are there are some use cases uh, they, that, that get, you know, enabled. So they will just, uh, you know, follow the use case. I, I don't think people will care in a few years as much as today of, you know, the technical details or the underlying infrastructure. Of course. So PNT, P network is basically an evolution of all of these things that you've been working yeah. on merging together and the EDO token, which I know was widely traded and, uh, you know, on Binance, everything became PNT, correct? Yes, that's correct. Basically, we instead of you know we could have created a new token for the P network for uh, managing the uh, you know the governance needs of the P network, and but we didn't really want to for several reasons. First is that we <laughs> we really didn't want to go through you know an initial uh, coin offering or anything like that. Right. Um, second, uh, it's really hard uh, for a governance token to distribute it well. Um, you know, across the community, we see some initiatives today of, you know, yield farming uh, and, you know, on that, that basically try to invent new ways to fairly distribute the tokens. So what we decided to do instead is like uh, um, rebranding and updating the EDO token uh, so that we could use the existing uh, token holders, uh, um, the, the existing token holders. Um, which are at the big, when we did the transition, they were approximately 7.3 thousand uh, token holders. So it's not huge, but it's still a relevant number. And the concentration of tokens that we initially had in the company, um, which sort of uh, screwed everything because it implied, uh, you know, we as a company would have uh, been able to, you know, decide everything within uh, right. you know, the decision making of the company of the DAO. We just decided to to, to get rid of them. So uh, we did uh, before the conversion of EDO to PNT, we decided to burn uh, uh, 28 million tokens, which was uh, like approximately one third of the total supply. And yeah. it is the vast majority of the, of the tokens of the company, just to ensure the company will not be able in the P network to control everything. Um, so th that enables the EDO token uh, to become PNT and to have a fair distribution, which is the current one, we believe. And I know that you um, have a pretty aggressive staking program from what I've seen uh, coming for PNT. I, I can't, don't quote me on the number because it's in my head, but 42% uh, first year, something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, um, that, that's not a random number. It comes out from <laughs> like a very specific uh, logic we, that is described in, uh, in our um, paper. And basically the idea is that um, the companies that were previously allocated to the company that we have burned, which are 28 million, uh, are the ones that could potentially now be redistributed as a reward with the inflation of the DAO. So if you do the math, you find out that basically, uh, assuming the DAO is successful and most people stake tokens uh, within the DAO, um, the 42% reward of the first year and 21% of the second year 
basically cumulatively they sum up to approximately the amount we have done. So this is like a fair uh, a fair uh, treatment, let's say, for yeah. a due token holders that don't see any change in the total supply before and after the conversion in a couple of years. The, the, the supply could be lower, but it will never go above the previous level. And it creates a very strong incentive for people to participate into the DAO. Actually, this reward is not just randomly given to people in the DAO. What happens is that people are required to, to vote and there will be a frequent uh, uh, like uh, uh, voting. We have several proposals already in mind. Um, so the idea is that if people have tokens in the DAO but don't vote, um, they are not active participants. So they are not contributing to the project, hence they will not be rewarded. Um, but people voting will be uh, you know, eligible and they will get this 42% reward um, within the P network DAO. And this is a way to basically uh, create initial uh, interest in making uh, you know, the project uh, um, evolve in a way that basically uh, makes sense while uh, it's in its initial phases. So it's important to have uh, something like this for the few months, for the first few months. So this runs for, especially for the super, forty-two percent is for the first year. Second year it goes down to fifty percent, so it's twenty-one. Uh, twenty-one. Uh, yeah, and the third year it's zero. So it basically uh, lasts for a couple of years, and we consider it enough to see if the project uh, uh, becomes successful as we expect. Um, so yeah, it's a very strong incentive. Surely, um, the the challenge here is making people understand uh, that uh, you know that's not a scam, but it's actually something legit that makes sense. Unfortunately, there is a lot to the uh, you know uh, in uh, our paper actually describes the rationale and, and like the reasoning behind this. Um, people don't and, like to read <laughs> in this space. Yeah, unfortunately, they like to assume. <laughs> Yeah, we have, we have actually um, prepared also, you know, some uh, decks so they can have a, a look uh, very quickly and briefly to the main, you know, points. Then if they want to dive into the details, of course, they will need to do some homework, you know. Roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time, and they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundlyx.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. So basically, you're offering these rewards to make it fair for the former holders, but also just to incentivize people to participate and be excited about the project, right. which which makes a ton of sense. So you touched on a couple of things earlier that are super um, so that, that are super popular right now and are kind of the talk of the entire space. You, you talked about farming yield, which is something that maybe uh, you're you're an expert in, or at least understand better than probably the average person, because I think it's a very uh, confusing concept, but something that people are extremely excited about at the moment. So can you talk about yield farming? Yeah, sure. So yield, yield farming, as you said, um, is like something on, uh, where that everyone is currently discussing. Um, I think that's uh, like an interesting uh, new like concept um, that is being experimented. 
I see it's also very controversial. Like if you go outside of the Ethereum ecosystem, not everyone yeah. uh, is positive. Uh, it seems like I a bubble. Also, it does. Does it's, yeah, it's, it is reminiscent um, of ICO boom in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah. It's really dangerous. Uh, there could be a trend which um, isn't necessarily positive, but um, there, there are surely gains in the short term. So the point is, um, do we get any benefit uh, for the ecosystem in the medium to long term? out of this and that's not trivial to understand at this stage um i see that even people uh, like you know vitalik and others um are not really supporters of this so right. let's see how it turns out i guess it's about uh, you know um doing it in a balanced way so that it's you know it's not uh, like uh, just doesn't go out of hands and it's sort of under control but um let's see how how it turns out to how it evolves in, in the next few weeks and months. Basically, the concept is around uh, incentivizing um, the staking of liquidity, basically, um, within different uh, platforms. Uh, normally, uh, liquidity pools, they, they are typically liquidity pools that are useful for a variety of reasons. Um, and uh, for example, uh, Curve Finance uh, um, is one of the ones that has some some initiatives to incentivize this. Um, there are also uh, like uh, we see it in Compound. Everyone is discussing this nowadays, um, mm -hmm. and you know th there there are several initiatives connected to that. I feel like uh, it's uh, like uh, a run where uh, like a race where everyone is trying to uh, you know offer the best deal so they can right. lock liquidity in. Um, you know, but it's sort of helping DeFi to grow exponentially. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, we need to do it in a balanced way. So let's see how uh, it evolves. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, when you look at it superficially from the outside, you don't understand it. It seems like people are just lending and borrowing money to lend and borrow the same money at a higher interest rate and then you know continue down the chain to keep lending and borrowing at a higher interest yeah, rate right. so it may it gives it the uh the outside impression of sort of the ponzi scheme you know the, the classic but uh people are very excited about it and i know there's more to it than that i just you know uh, seems like a very deep dive and very risky so outside of that which obviously you said is sort of driving the uh, exponential growth of DeFi what do you make of the overall DeFi boom and space now well um, I think it's really interesting to see that um, DeFi today is mostly seen as the activity going on on ethereum um, there are other chains that are trying to uh, you know uh, do their best to, um, you know, provide uh, some alternatives. Uh, so in general, our approach um, is the one of staying, you know, agnostic to those chains and provide connections across the different chains. Right. Um, we see some DeFi activity even on EOS, which I think is interesting for the flexibility it provides. You know, it, it's less decentralized, but the, I mean, the, 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 the critics we see around the EOS uh, being um, uh, too 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 much, you know, centralized or not not decentralized enough um, from the Ethereum ecosystem are very similar to the same observations that the Bitcoin community does to the Ethereum one. Right. So so I think the the I mean my point of view, my personal point of view is that I don't really know if EOS is too centralized or not, but. I think we will not be the ones defining that. It will be like uh, users, once this ecosystem will grow enough and we'll get some actual users, not, not I mean, today we are still really small as a community. Once this grows, um, few orders of magnitudes, we'll see how much decentralization is considered to be enough. Um, maybe people will not, you know, it's a spectrum, so we don't see, we don't know how much um, decentralization will be important. Um, I mean, how much decentralized a system needs to be in order to be considered safe enough, basically, um, a censorship resistant and so on. Um, as for Ethereum DeFi, um, I see many interesting projects uh, uh, that in the past maybe weren't very successful, but now are, maybe mostly because of composability and the fact that it's possible to do much more now uh, by having projects that interoperate. Um, for example, something um, that I like a lot because uh, I think it uh, like uh, 
sort of uh, provides a paradigm uh, shift for the user experience in DeFi is things like, uh, uh, you know, Loopring uh, that are working, uh, you know, on uh, uh, ZK uh, rollups and things like that, um, where basically, you know, the, the UX looks identical potentially uh, to the one of a centralized exchange. Um, right. Like, uh, even if you are a trader, um, like you can do, you can do, a, I'm not saying high frequency trading, but almost, um, you can do like, um, uh, you know, market making bots and things like that that are much more uh, efficient than the one you will be doing on chain. And the cost is just a fraction of it. Like wow. within a tool, for instance, uh, a tool we have that many users uh, leverage is called a swap, which is basically just a general purpose interface, which uh, with a single tap gives access to any liquidity pool like on bank or Uniswap, Kyber, and so on. We abstract right. out all the complexity. They just do you know, single tap. And um, you know, they, are com- they are complaining now because the transaction fees are so high that they don't understand why they need to spend you know, uh, three or four bucks if they want to trade uh, you know, 20. So right. um, you know, things like Loopring uh, basically uh, fix that. Um, and I'm very optimistic, uh, and I think those uh, technologies will incre- be increasingly important in the coming like months. So I read that in 2018 you took over 100 flights. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> what do you? Is that all for lectures? Is that for teaching? Is it just business? I mean, uh, well, you know, what were you doing in 2018 that that, that put you on a hundred different airplanes? Um, well. I, I've read recently, I think that was yesterday on somewhere in, uh, you know, on crypto Twitter, <laughs> that people were saying that um, now we have much more time to build because we are not constantly busy with crypto conferences. Right. Um, and in 2018, there were definitely too many uh, conferences in the space. Peak. And yeah. I, I was, you know, often a speaker there um, around oracles. Um, for, for instance, uh, like uh, DevCon, uh, I've spoken at basically all devcons from devcon uh, um, two on um, and at many other conferences in the space um, mostly you know to educate the community uh, showing uh, you know what we were doing to improve security of oracles and things like that um, and that most more recently you know to explain our work uh, um, of uh, you know p tokens and dp network why it's important uh, how it works uh, things like that um, now due to you know coronavirus um, those things are sort of on hold or they are not happening as much. Yeah. Uh, but in 2018, there was literally, you know, a conference uh, every two or three days, which was worth attending um, because, uh, you know, maybe 80% of people you already knew and you had met the week before at another conference, but 20%, <laughs> uh, you know, was different and was maybe just going at sort of local conferences or things like that. So that was useful both for, you know, networking opportunity, um, and, uh, you know, to, uh, as an opportunity to educate the community and to get feedback about all. So you were giving lectures, meeting people, networking, but right. I know that you've also um, done a lot of actual teaching. Um, can you talk about uh, where you've taught or, or what kind of classes you've taught? I know that some of them are very prestigious. Yeah. Um, so recently in the, in the last uh, two years, uh, basically, um, I've been teaching uh, at uh, like uh, the major universities in Italy, basically. As you can easily guess from my accent, I'm Italian. Even if I'm, <laughs> I've not, I've not been living in Italy for no, no London for accent a few, for yes, no uh, London accent. Yeah. Not, not yet. <laughs> um, well, actually, I moved to London um, in uh, uh, 2015, uh, so five years ago, um, as it was pretty much impossible to operate, uh, you know, an actual uh, crypto business uh, in Italy. Uh, so I moved here. And um, I moved to Switzerland uh, last year, where the Poseidon Group uh, is based. Um, and, uh, you know, so basically I spend my time between Switzerland and Italy. Um, sorry, between Switzerland and London. Um, but from time to time, um, you know, I, I do some lectures uh, uh, at Italian universities, uh, mostly around, uh, uh, you know, blockchain and, uh, like use cases or understanding the trust model of blockchain applications and, and things like that. And my 
like uh, the, the, narr- the narrative uh, that I normally use uh, in those uh, uh, lectures and in my speeches is the one of, uh, you know, um, trying to show that um, blockchain uh, is like unnecessary for like 90% of the use cases, but the 10% that are left, uh, you know, is worth uh, working on. Um, so because, you know, right now, if you go to universities or, uh, you know, in the corporate world, um, we used to do consultancy to banks and other, you know, corporates, that's really time wasting. And, uh, in the, like 90% of the use cases they are investigating doesn't really need a blockchain, but the innovation department gets some budget allocated if they put those keywords in. So, um, oh, right. basically what, what they try to explain is like to, to students normally, um, is like, uh, uh not to, how not to waste their time later on, on some use cases that have already been tried several times and that are not good fit for blockchain. Um, and what are the things that instead work well, for example, DeFi is an optimal example of those because before it was just something, you know, that you could explain as a concept while now they can see it in action. So it's much more effective. They that can makes touch sense. It, you know? So it's, a, it's interesting. So you uh, lecture at all the Italian universities, but you dropped out of one yourself, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I did to join this, uh, you know, mining company. Um, as you know, I felt like uh, the university wasn't really, you know, giving me enough. Um, I was, I was actually doing quite good at university, but uh, you know, I felt like. Uh, the crypto ecosystem was something that, you know, was a huge opportunity one in a lifetime. So I decided to dedicate, uh, uh, you know, my, all my, my time to, you know, to it, to start building something. It's interesting. I mean, it's a completely new world in general um, with accessibility to information. And you always kind of joke that everything you learned in your freshman year is already uh invalid by your sophomore year and by your <laughs> senior year you've learned nothing of any value because of the the velocity i guess of information um and then you compound that with covid now where you know most students may not even go back to college they're just going to be learning on their computer anyway so do you <laughs> see at this point having dropped out that long ago and been successful do you think that that conventional educational system is the right path for someone who wants to be in blockchain? Or do you think that there are better ways for an 18 year old to spend their time and money if this is what they want to do? Um, well, I guess if someone is interested to get started with, you know, um, anything blockchain related, um, Today, it's both easier and harder than when I started, because when I started, there was just, you know, a couple of platforms. So you knew you had to go there, uh, right. you know, you knew who the authorities were, um, and you knew, you know, you could ask them anything because normally they would just, you know, answer to you personally. And, uh, you know, you would be able to just, uh, understand how those things work and why it was done that way and, and so on. Um, today, it's easier because, uh, you know, there are many streamlined, uh, you know, uh, processes, um, you could, uh, you could use. So for example, there are university courses, there are books, um, there are, uh, like podcasts, uh, there are, you know, um, newsletters, influencers, people you can follow and you know, uh, you know, you will learn everything around a right. given topic. Um, so that's easier because it's low, it's easier to digest. Like everyone can, you know, spend, uh, just for fun, even, you know, half an hour per day and do something in the ecosystem yeah. that is sort of, uh, simplified to them, uh, by the experts. Um, while back then you had to do a lot of homework, uh, first, um, at the same time, it's like, uh, much wider. So I don't think today you can be, you know, a blockchain expert or anything like that. Uh, back then you could, but you could know everything or almost everything. Um, now it's pretty much impossible. Um, so you, you need to decide what you want to focus on. And there are people that work on DeFi alone and that maybe don't even know much beside DeFi and they just focus on the financial aspect of it. Right. And even there, they may not know everything, but maybe just be focused on something. So, um, so I guess uh, today, it's, it's like the, 
it's much easier, um, yet uh, wider. So it's important to understand what you want to focus on. Hence, there is no more, you know, blockchain. Uh, uh, blockchain courses in general could, uh, you know, just explain you some the basics, um, right. give you the context, but then you, you still need, you know, to to get out, um, be hands out, on, you know, and do hands on, and you know, work uh, um, hard on the, the single topic you are interested uh, to dive right. into and and see what works, what doesn't. Also because, you know, as you know better than me, in the, in the last year and a half, uh, this, the, the DeFi ecosystem has changed so much that, mm. uh, you know, if you, if you were to buy a book like one year ago, uh, yeah, it's DeFi, useless. today it would be useless. Right? Yeah. It's, a, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So you said that you give lectures basically telling people what the good use cases are for blockchain and where they're wasting their time. So outside of DeFi, where we obviously see this huge boom, what are the best use cases moving forward for, for blockchain that you think people should focus on? Yeah, so DeFi is, uh, is actually um, one of the most interesting ones, in my opinion. Uh, then there are other things, uh, um, for example, um, well, something, I will start first from the other question. So like what... Um, what may, are useless not, bad cases? <laughs> yeah, but, but I think that um, like some use cases that are like discussed way too much are like uh, supply chain and things like that. Because you know all all consultants will try to sell you supply chain solution. <laughs> because well, I, I've also <laughs> you you will not believe it. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but I've had uh, discussions with you know professionals telling me they could sell. Um, supply chain solutions on blockchain easily just because to their clients it resulted uh, obvious that supply chain had must have had something to do with blockchain since it has, it has chain the word chain <laughs> yeah <laughs> or things like that yeah. which are just ridiculous because in most cases yeah. maybe on chain there is a good solution but then the last mile is always bullshit because it's you know it's a uh, maybe a sensor or something that could very easily be tampered with and that because of the rest of the components they put on the blockchain, it could be an avalanche. Like it could cause so many consequences that right. are unexpected that it becomes much worse than before. Um, so that's uh, something uh, uh, to avoid. Um, and like, uh, you know, timestamping or things like that sound boring, but I still believe that's something important. Um, gambling. I, I personally like the, uh, you know, industry a lot. So I'm happy to see that things like pull together are innovating there and sort of merging it with DeFi or finding something in between, you know, the two ecosystems. Um, since provable, um, the Oracle service um, used to have a significant chunk of users from the gambling space. Uh, I have spent a significant amount of time, you know, studying the use case of, you know, throwing a dice in a provably fair manner or things like that. Um, so I still believe this is something That's on which uh, blockchain can provide very important uh, advancements um, on you know reducing costs uh, and procedures that are pure nonsense. Like uh, we we made ourselves um, with our uh, you know <laughs> cryptographically secure um, random number generation. We did certifications, and when you do that, I mean you must do them because if you don't, then uh, you know um, certify the casinos will not be able to use it right but when you do it i mean it's mind-blowing because you you clearly see that those processes were designed in the 90s um and they don't make any sense like uh, they, they just proved that the procedure is safe when it was audited but they don't say anything of the security of the system while it's running so um. you can have the operator cheating with zero effort and it will right. basically be impossible to detect. And still, you have the certificate, you have the stamp, you know, of the government that says, "Don't worry, this is this is secure." So uh, keep going. You can play safe. You know, with blockchain, this doesn't happen uh, if you interact, if you know what you are doing, of course. And in the future, hopefully, um, even to a much wider audience. That's interesting. Yeah, gambling is clearly a, a huge, huge uh, space for for blockchain to innovate. So, do you think, in general, that uh, we are still very early. You hear that all the time. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin is over 10 years old, you know, um, and I think 
at least the public is becoming somewhat superficially interested or aware of it. But I believe we're still very, very early, even though we saw that 2017 crash that's kind of got the world's attention. Do you think that, that we're early and most of the innovation is still to come? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I've done that mistake myself for a very long time, but I, I remember uh, like in, in thinking that I, it wasn't too early and that some things were ready to go to market, you know, when there was no market uh, because maybe you know, the entry barrier was so high that we couldn't, we couldn't clearly see it um, from inside the ecosystem, but it's clearly there. Um, and the, I think this was like the wake up call of 2018 and 19 where if i had to define those two years i would say that the main uh topic before DeFi that to me was relevant was recognizing that um you know our previous assumption was wrong in thinking that building something would have just led to adoption so right. i remember starting many um or or closing many talks saying uh, um let's build it users will come like crossed saying that's wrong guys it, we we assume that building something would have meant uh, you know users we are the only users here because it's so complex and it's yeah. so early that you know we we need to provide some strong incentives um and that's what i guess yield farming among other initiatives is sort mm -hmm. of uh, doing it's like it's sort of cheating right because if you um if you can, if you create um, a situation where people earn money, you will gain their attention immediately. Yep. Um, they will look at you, and they will, be, and, and they will be interested in doing the an extra, you know, step, and um, they, they will they will be eager to learn, um, and they, they, they will listen. So but also somewhat like, guarantees uh, that they don't act badly, right? I mean, it sort of eliminates yeah, yeah, of the course. bad actors yeah, of because yeah, your incentive yeah, yeah. is to make money. So it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, of course. you care about the community, but, but you also care about yourself. Right. But if you don't have the, like, uh, the, the incentive, those people, those people will not even try. That, right. That's the problem. So, um, so that's a nice trick because I think at, in, the, in this stage, um, DUX is significantly getting better. Um, we are not quite there yet. So I like this, uh, you know, DeFi uh, attitude of some projects uh, to look like Windows 95, you know, or things <laughs> like that. Um, because, yeah, we, we, we may be truly there now. Um, I don't think we are at a later stage, but we may be, you know, around between 95 or something like that. Yeah. I'll take that. 95, it's still early in my opinion. If we're, if we're here and it's 95, I can't wait for 2010, 2020. So, so you have time to accumulate. Yeah, I was just say. Uh, we all, we all have more time to So, um, you know, assuming no friction and that things continue to advance at this rate, obviously we all see tremendous potential and that we're really early. What do you think are the biggest threats that could cause a failure? Is it, you know, uh, regulation, hostile governments, a single tweet from the American president, <laughs> you know, what are the things that could, could, could cause this in theory to, I guess, come tumbling down or fail or is it nothing? <laughs> no, no, there are plenty. I'm just thinking yeah. what's, what's the most dangerous. Um, I mean, um, I would have answered the regulator, uh, last year, maybe this year I would say it's, um, like, um, stable coins maybe. Um, so, um, I mean, if you look at the use cases that are getting most traction, like, uh, for example, on Ethereum, we can easily look at uh, gas consumption, like, right. uh, what most transactions are used for. They are used to move around, uh, uh tether dollar, for example, yeah. and the other stable coins. And those have, uh, like, uh, been of tremendous help, um, to, um, like, uh, make easy the movement of liquidity from exchanges to DeFi because normally mm -hmm. the liquidity is trapped in uh, you know centralized finance so in uh, right. normal uh, exchanges yeah. uh, centralized exchanges with stable coins it's easy to move those money out um and you know they you're not subject to volatility so there are different reasons why they're interesting um i'm not saying i'm scared any any of those 
will fall anytime soon. I'm just saying that uh, it's uh, relatively risky um, to rely that much. Mostly not because I don't trust those players at the moment, but because I don't trust the banks they rely on. Uh, so, right. I mean, That's those are... Yeah, uh, I mean, even MakerDAO is an example of something, you know, that was trying to basically fix that. Um, but it's still early. I mean, in order for people to have confidence in a tool like this, I think you need years, not few months. Um, and MakerDAO has been around for a while, but with significant capital, I would say just for a very few months. So I think it will take longer. So you don't think the threat is... I mean, we've obviously heard about Tether for years. Are they back? Do they have the dollars in the bank? Where's the audits? All those things. So you're not saying that's the threat, really. That's not your, your concern. It's uh, that they'll be shut down in some way by regulators or that the, basically the platforms that you have to use them on would have issues. Um, I mean, as for Tether, uh, for several reasons, uh, uh, including the fact that uh, I know them quite well, I... I don't think that's a major risk in the ecosystem. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's what we I heard think, about for years. Uh, you yeah, know, but the, that's the same thing as, you know, Bitcoin being a bubble and everything. I mean, we yeah, could list yeah. the, the number of times people have yeah. said that it was not backed by anything. You know? right. um, that's a speculation, but at the end of the day, that's where most of the volumes are. So, right. um, meaning that maybe, you know, there are a few people that are very loud and um, being scared, but I believe the market prices in those dynamics. Mm-hmm. And um, if people really didn't believe uh, Tether was, uh, you know, backed, for instance, I don't think it would trade at one USD. I agree. Um, so, um, you know, uh, I think the market uh, is like a very objective, uh, uh, like <laughs> it's very objectively answers to, the, to that question. But, um, the market may be wrong, right? We, we, we don't know. We, sometimes we find out later, um, similarly to prediction markets. But right. um, in general, I think um, the danger is, uh, is currently sitting in stable coins in general. I'm not saying Tether, I'm saying I got you. stable coins. So even if USDC, um, for instance, uh, was to fall or anything like that, was to be shut down, even you know something like Coinbase. I mean, I think the impact in the ecosystem will be huge. Um, if the regulator was to take action, I mean, yeah, it's something bad. It will affect the ecosystem, but we are used to it, right? right. We, we have yeah. seen it several China, times in the India, past. Yeah, of course. China has, uh, has come back, back several forth. times. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we are slowly becoming immune to it. So, um, and I think we are improving. Uh, so I, I think one thing that could be attacked by the uh, regulators going forward, maybe, uh, you know, DAOs, for instance. Um, but I think this will just uh, result in DAOs improving and getting better right. and resistant to those kind of attacks. That's great. So uh, what's next for you when all of this is done? What do you see as your future, the next kind of project or a passion that you have that you still want to, want to pursue? Well, um, as we have seen uh, during the last hour, I, I spent... Uh, the last uh, eight years, basically all my 20s. Uh, mm. I'm 28 now, so from 20 to 28. Unbelievable. Um, in, You're all in children this in this space. I'm 43. <laughs> it makes me feel so old when I talk to you guys. <laughs> and so basically, um, I spent uh, the last eight years in this ecosystem, and I hope I will spend the next eight. So I, I'm not in a rush to move anywhere else because like, uh, I see many exciting things, right? Um, I don't know, like VR or, uh, you know, AR, many other things. I mean, they, many things interest me. Um, right. But at the end of the day, if you stay in the crypto space for so long, you get used to the level of, of excitement test and the fast pace. Um, so if you move elsewhere, everything seems extremely slow and boring. And you say, okay, been there, done that. Um, I mean, um, you know, the blockchain ecosystem was just much faster. So, um, so I don't think I will go anywhere else uh, in the in the next future. Um, and I mean, I, I have many personal uh, uh, interests uh, beside uh, crypto for my free time. But you know, I'm having so much fun um, during most of my day with crypto that I mean, that's exactly the place where I wish. Uh, um, I, I would be in the next few years. 
Awesome. So where can people uh, follow you, follow P Network, follow ADU, keep up with what you guys are, are doing? Yeah. So our, uh, well, if to follow me, my handle on Twitter is my first and last name. So Thomas uh, Bertani. While for following uh, the P Network and P Tokens, um, we have a channel on uh, uh, Telegram called uh, P Tokens and one on uh, Twitter uh, called uh, P Tokens. Um, um, IO. So it's easy uh, to follow our development there and then it, all our channels are basically interconnected. So we are starting a Discord channel, for instance, um, with uh, all the different information around DAO, around they do, around uh, you know, the next B2Hens bridges and so on. Um, while if people are interested just to follow uh, you know, uh, the high-level interface, which is ADO, so basically what we see as like a, uh, one of the uh, main gateways for P tokens, the P network, and this ecosystem. Um, the ADU channel is uh, um, is ADU um, on um, on Twitter, and um, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to to speak with me. I know you're obviously exceptionally busy. Hopefully, next time uh, when COVID's over and we can get on planes again, you can take uh, one of those <laughs> hundred flights and we can meet up at one of these conferences uh, yeah, in person awesome. and do this again. So, uh, thank you again so much, and I look forward to seeing what what you guys have coming in the future. Thank you for your time. That's dope. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.